So about 15% of all milk sold in the country is organic milk. About 30% of all baby food sold in the country is organic baby food. So I would get called into meetings to speak to this new evolving consumer, she being a young woman. I would, you know, at the rise of Amazon and how women were buying their formula and their diapers and wipes was huge on subscriptions. So I was able to not only lead a brand, but frankly, be a face of the brand and brought into a lot of meetings that I typically would not be because the category and the consumer was exploding. Intrapreneista Robin Mermelstein has held a number of exciting high-level marketing positions at companies like Bliss, Jurlique, the Hain Celestial Group, Baby Ganix, and most recently, becoming the head of marketing at PM Pediatrics. What is the secret to her success? In her words, it's the attitude she brings to the job and her ability to inspire and lead teams. You're about to hear how Robin has climbed the corporate ladder over the years while becoming a mom of two and the crucial lessons she has learned about work-life balance, the importance of working at a company whose mission aligns with yours over a bigger paycheck, and how to define your superpower and surround yourself with people who have balancing traits. We also dive into her experience being at PM Pediatrics this year and having to pivot an entire marketing strategy to best suit her patients' needs. Coming up, You'll hear about how she started her career in PR before quickly realizing she wanted to see the whole picture of a brand and deciding to pursue marketing. Her early years working at beauty and luxury brands before her pivot to baby products after the birth of her first child. A tragic loss of baby Gannix, which led to the most difficult transition in Robin's life. How Robin's positive attitude and innate leadership skills have led her to success. The key pillars of Robin's ways of working and why you should use this method too. How a personal experience led her to taking the head of marketing position at PM Pediatrics. How Robin had to pivot their entire marketing strategy earlier this year when people became afraid of going to the doctor. Robin's best tips to effectively lead a meeting over Zoom and how Robin stays grounded by focusing on her family and community. This is the Entrepreneurista Podcast, presented by Socialfly. It's the best business meeting you'll ever have with must-hear real-life looks at how leading women in business are getting it done. And what it takes to build and grow a successful company. It's beyond the gram. With no filters, no limits, and plenty of surprises. Robin, we are so excited to sit down with you this afternoon and have a conversation about your incredible career journey. You started off your business career first working in PR and marketing for some well-known cosmetics and fragrance companies. Can you walk us through your background and career and how you got into PR and marketing? So I have always been growing up a big magazine reader, which I feel like is kind of a dinosaur term now, but uh, and loved reading them, I would put like, I don't know if you guys remember absolute vodka ads, but they would like, I would have them all over my walls in my bedroom. And I, I just, my mom always bought me magazines and I just fell in love with them. And when, and I, I love to write creatively. So when I graduated college, I really wanted a job at a magazine. I don't know how much you guys know about how much editorial assistants make, but it's not that much. So, um, I interviewed a bunch of magazines at the time, and it, I, it couldn't even come close to making ends meet. But at around the same time, also started to look for job opportunities in public relations. I had had a summer internship when I spent my junior year in college in London and worked for French Connection in their press office. So I had a good feel for how that worked. I took a role in PR at a, at a at, you know, a then and still is a well-known boutique PR agency called Berman Communications. I kind of did the flip side of working in editorial, where it was our job to inform editors about new products, new technologies, so that they were always writing the most up-to-date articles and sharing it with their readers. I did that. I worked at that PR agency, then I moved to another PR agency, and then finally at my third PR agency, I worked on much larger brands. It was a PR agency that was owned by a larger holding company called Euro. And I loved doing what I was doing and I loved, you know, pitching new products and building relationships and being on the forefront of things in, in beauty and skincare. But I wanted to see the whole picture of the brand. I, you only get a slice of what's happening in the business. When you work in PR, you get sort of the end result of whatever people, you know, in the corporate office are working on. And I wanted to be at the beginning. I wanted to see what was happening. So I left the agency side and I took a role at Bliss 
think I'm dating myself. I think it was 2004, if I remember. And I worked for the founder, Marcia Kilgore, for a bunch of years. At that time, Bliss was owned by LVMH. And uh, we had spas. We had two spas in New York. And then I was there for five or six years through a sale to W uh, to Starwood hotels. We opened up spas in W's across the country. We built out a really robust skincare portfolio that sold at department stores in Sephora and things like that. And, and a really big team of people to work on the business itself. I also went through a program at FIT. It's a master's in professional studies. And if you've ever spoken to anyone about it, it's a program that's sponsored by the giants in cosmetics, L'Oreal, Estee Lauder, Shiseido sponsored the program. And at the year that I had applied to be in it, they looked at, they were looking for, you know, newbie brands or hip brands. So I was invited to join the program along with a few other executives that were working for smaller brands and it helped us round out our class. So you had a combination of people from really big organizations and then people like myself, which were from smaller emerging color cosmetics and skincare brands. That program gave me a really good baseline for what I probably get to fill in in my education background. It, it gave me enough knowledge to get myself around a PL. It gave me some really good public speaking classes and let me brush up on, pro- on what I hadn't been doing since college. And it also helped me network a ton and it sent me traveling across the world. I went to Asia with the program as part of our final project. A friend of mine worked for Shiseido at the time after, so we went a little bit early and we were able to get a tour around Japan privately. And then we did a good amount of work in China. And then Bliss actually had me stay for a bit longer to open up a department store outpost at Lane Crawford in Hong Kong. So what year was this now? 2007, probably 2008. And then I came home and the business, the Bliss business was really doing phenomenally well. And then it wasn't because nothing was in 2008 after the stock market crash, especially businesses that are luxuries, right? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, especially New York City. I feel like everyone was out of work. I lost my job. I wasn't out of work for long and we can sort of talk about that a little bit more, but I probably had it for about three weeks until I got a role at a skincare brand called Zerlik, which is, uh, I use the term loosely, natural or better for you because it's not real. There definitely weren't things to define that at the time. Skincare brand. Their headquarters were in Australia. They were recently invested in by private equity group and they had opened up an office in Irvington, which is right outside the city in Westchester, New York. And they needed someone to come in and run global skincare development, which I had been doing bliss. And then at the same time, wear the US marketing hat. But I remember 2008 in New York, I've never seen so many people eating lunch in the middle of the day because nobody really had any jobs or anything to do. (laughs) You would see people, you know, out and there were so many people out of work. There was actually some like camaraderie around it as well. You could go to a bar at like 12 noon and it would be really busy with like bankers that didn't have jobs and things like that. But I worked at Jurelique for a couple years. I got married and pregnant during those few years and I was expecting my first daughter when the private equity company let us know, JH Partners, let us know that they were moving our office to San Francisco. They also had investments in really well-known brands like Bear Essentials, and they were based in San Francisco, and they wanted to consolidate their resources there. My husband's an attorney. He did not want to take the California State Bar. I was pregnant. We just bought a house. I was not, we were not moving. So I was like, all right, well, I'm going to just, I'm going to look for a new job. And I was pretty visibly pregnant. And looking for a job when you're visibly pregnant is quite challenging. What did you do? <laughs> I went on job interviews yeah. and there was a lot of un- unconscious bias. I will tell women today that work on my team, maternity, if you want to have a child and want to come back to work, maternity leave, the maternity leave that's available in the United States, whether, and then, you know, if you're lucky enough for your organization to offer longer than 12 weeks is a, the quickest, fastest moment in time that for me, when women op- often feel guilty coming to their superiors and saying, <laughs> I'm pregnant. Sorry. Like it is, there is not, no one should ever apologize for that moment in their life. It is the most transforming, wonderful experience for anyone to go through. And the fact that women apologize because they're going to be out for, you know, eight, 12, whatever your time, it's literally a blink of an eye in a business's life cycle. And I will do now as, as a woman that often runs a team with a lot of women on that team and, and parents as well, support my team as much as I possibly can through that journey. I encourage them to take all of that leave. I encourage them to turn off during truly turn off because with my first daughter, I did not. And I can get into that with my second daughter. I absolutely did because 
you don't get that time back. It moves so quickly, both for you personally and for a business. But I had people like look at me sideways when I was like sitting at job interviews and I was literally seven months pregnant and had like a big belly. <laughs> so I ended up leaving Jolique when I went into labor, which the office was actually still open at the time I hadn't found a role. And then I got a call li- literally three days after I got home from the hospital with my daughter from a recruiter that said, I am looking to fill a role for Hain Celestial, which is a large organic and natural CPG company that was based 25 minutes from my house on the baby food business. And I know that you really only worked in cosmetics, but I saw your background and I was like, I'm in, I'm in, I'm totally in. (laughs) And I remember telling her why and that I thought that the stars were aligned and I had just had a daughter. And I went to see what ended up being our chief marketing officer and then president of North America at the time. I had a baby nurse that was helping me at home. So She's home with my daughter and I'm trying to put on a suit or something, some some semblance of a suit to go to a job interview literally five days after I had a child. Wow. I don't know how you did it. I don't know either. (laughs) There there are so many things that happened during that six months that I don't, I really don't remember a lot of because I ended up taking the job and I remember her saying to me, are you sure you want to do this? Like, this is baby food. Like you've been working in all of these luxury like environments. And I'm like, I haven't washed my hair in like a week. Like I barely, this, this outfit barely fits. I am not thinking about spas or skincare or moisture. Like not, this is where my head is. And I think that I can really be valuable to you and the organization. And she, knock on wood, thankfully agreed. I started working three weeks later. Wow. So, which was my decision, I think, because at the time I felt like they were, if I couldn't hurry up and help them, that they were going to go with somebody else. So I changed a lot of my childcare plans. I was originally planning on putting my daughter in daycare, which I had to sign up for. I kid you not, when I was eight weeks expecting because it was like the one that you wanted to get the spot in. And my husband thought it was the craziest thing ever. She was too young to go to daycare and they didn't have a spot for her anyway. So I ended up finding a nanny to come live with us during that three week period of time. And I went to work for four weeks after giving birth which was wild, which, and that's why I'm like so passionate about trying to help women through this process and really enjoy it because I did not. I was, you know, pumping multiple times throughout the day out in the office, which they were good about, but it was, you know, Hain grew very quickly during the period of time that I was there. And my workspace was a storage room that had three women in it. And each of our desks were sort of in the corner of a square room. The good thing is the door locked, which is great. And that all they didn't seem to care that I would just pump in the middle of the day, like multiple times throughout the day. And then I would have to like take walks like around in the parking lot because I was so tired because I wasn't sleeping. My daughter was barely sleeping. I was barely sleeping, but we made it through and I worked, I worked on this business. I worked at the brand was Earth's Best Organic. They, if anyone you know is familiar, they're the largest organic baby food brand. They make infant formula. We made diapers. We made wipes. We ended up going to a huge frozen business where we make everything from like chicken nuggets to waffles and things like that. We went through a huge boom in the category at the time, which drove a ton of growth, which was a packaging format. So most baby food was eaten in jars. And when I worked in the brand, everything turned into pouches. So it was this huge boom of, you know, how babies were fed. We acquired, I was pregnant with my second daughter during our acquisition of Ella's Kitchen. By that time, I was leading the entire baby food business and was part of a small team that was involved in acquisitions. And I got a, Hain at the time was a very acquisitive organization and organic and natural food was, was really cool especially in the baby food space, because women were recognizing that as they were pregnant, they wanted to eat cleaner because they knew that that was what was going to help nurture their baby. And then typically milk is the, was the highest category bought in organic. So about 15% of all milk sold in the country is organic milk. About 30% of all baby food sold in the country is organic baby food. So I would get called into meetings to speak to this new evolving consumer. She being a young woman, I would, you know, at the rise of Amazon and how women were buying their formula and their diapers and wipes was huge on subscriptions. So I was able to not only lead a brand, but frankly, be a face of the brand and brought into a lot of meetings that I typically would not be because the category and the consumer was exploding. Social media was growing and how mommy blogs and how women were finding information and things like that. And I ended up being on a multiple acquisition teams that would speak to the dynamics of consumer behavior and things like that. So I started the, we started the acquisition and then the woman who was president of North America, who interviewed me years before called me when I was on maternity leave. And she goes, I know you're on leave, which was the leave that I was like, I'm shutting off. I am not doing this again. I've got two at home. I'm going to enjoy this time. 
And she's like, we're about to acquire Elle's Kitchen. And I wanted you to know, and it's really exciting and it's amazing. And I ended, I went back to work after my 12 weeks, refreshed, excited, happy to be there. And I was there for another bunch of years working on both of those businesses, growing them globally, internationally. It again took me back to China when we launched Infant Formula in China, which was, there was a real need for better for you infant formula there. Fell in love with the consumer and the and the kind of headspace that a woman is in when she's pregnant or she's nursing and when she can't and what that looks like. And all around me was this explosion of social and how people are engaging and how women are finding their villages and how they're communicating and things like that. And worked with really great partners and other wonderful brands. And we grew what was, I don't know, $100 million business to a $500 million business. I, Hayne went through a challenging period of time when I was there and the business changed where I had the ability to essentially be a general manager of my business. I reported into the president of North America on a full PL, but my job was a marketer. But the way that they viewed their marketers was a bit more like general managers. So I was given a lot of room to learn and make a lot of mistakes through that process. My cohorts were people that had Harvard MBAs, and I had a master's program from cosmetics and fragrance and marketing, which I love, by the way, but I was <laughs> you know, sitting with different kinds of people. And towards the end of my tenure there, I was looking for what I'll call a seat at the table. I was really interested in the brands that I was competing with outside the space. And Hanes a big publicly traded organization and fundamentally the business started changing. And I was asked to cut from my bottom line of my PL, which was often the marketing line item, often because certain brands weren't doing well and it was time to pass the hat and everybody had to kick in. And I wanted to do more with what I had. Probably when I had, just to rewind a little bit, probably when I had been in Hain for shy of a year, I had met the founders of Baby Gaddix and they had called me about a marketing director role. And I said, listen, I just started this journey here. I have a lot to learn. I didn't really want to go, they were private equity back at the time. And I was a little scared of that based on what had happened at your leak. I want to end up hearing that they're going to move or something like that. in like, you know, a year and a half. So I said, I'm not ready, but I, I might know someone that is. And I, I made a few introductions for them and they ended up hiring a woman that I knew was looking for a job, but we kept in touch. I would see them at airports when we were both flying to Minneapolis for line reviews with our buyers because the same guy that buys baby food buys, you know, baby soap. And I started to see one of the founders in my personal community. He happens to live in a town near mine and our kids are the same age. And I specifically remember seeing him one day at a thing for our kids and we were like catching up and I said, you know, I, I've been looking for a new job and I actually had an offer from a quite a well-known L'Oreal brand that was super hip and was the kind of brand that, that most people like me would want to be attached to, but something didn't sit right with me about it. But they made me an offer and it was a pretty, and he was like, I said, but I don't know, there's something like gnawing at me. And I told him to think about it over the weekend and I got to get back to them on Monday or Tuesday. And he's like, don't take the job. He's like, call me on Monday. I want to talk to you about something. So I called him on Monday and he's like, we are about to move towards a transaction with a strategic partner. Our vice president of marketing that you introduced us to years ago was amazing, but she's left. And we need someone that will join us to help us cross the finish line and then help us utilize the resources that we're going to get from the strategic partner and just the brand will just explode. And I was like, okay, that, that sounds awesome. So I was like, let's talk, let's move forward. Let's be quick. Because I said, um, you know, you were right. The L'Oreal thing's not for me. I had turned down that job. It took us a few weeks to back and forth. I met the other co-founder. I met a few people on the team. And I was also interviewing at another organization at the same time. And they were like, yeah, we're going to, you know, this is great. We'll be able to make a decision and we'll move forward. We hit it off. They are my people. I love them. I am still really good friends with them. And then they were like, can you go to Chicago? We need you to meet the new, you know, the, the new head of the business because they had sold to S.C. Johnson, and S.C. Johnson was based in Chicago. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, no problem, I'll go to Chicago. Went to Chicago, met, met the CEO, who I said, listen, we think you're a great fit for this business. We really want to use your resources to help it grow. You know, I, in my head, I knew eventually that the baby got business that was based in New York would probably transition to Chicago, which, frankly, I was okay with. Like, I could, I could do that. Were you, were you back and forth? I, not really. Like, four times a year, maybe. They really left us alone. And we were like a jewel. Like we were a brand that was growing like crazy. They yeah. wanted to get into this better for you home wellness baby space. And they would like show us off. We would like go to these huge meetings with like thousands of people who worked on Windex and Raid and like all these big brands. And we were like me and Kevin and Keith. And we were this like, I don't know, an entrepreneurial little crew. And I would like tag along with them. But it was, I joined that team. It actually was quite a large 
marketing department. It was, I would say 40 people at all in the office, but marketing was big. I made some reductions of the team. We focused on where we were headed, built a strategy, a more robust strategy, more dollars to play with that SC Johnson gave us. And we hit the ground running and we grew the business. We grew categories. We went through innovation and then SC Johnson bought Method, which is a super popular household cleaning company. They're based in San Francisco. And then, I don't know, six months later, they said, we're going to move you guys to San Francisco too. And I'm like, not again. <laughs> I don't. It's your reoccurring thing. I know. I'm like, I don't want to go to San Francisco again. <laughs> I think you're meant to be in San Francisco. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> And same reason makes a ton of sense for a big business. We're going to take all of our natural brands and we're going to put them all under one roof and they're all going to share the same resources. And those resources are the resources for method and baby Gannix are different from the resources that Windex needs. And, and one of my co-founders had left, he, you know, saw his contract through and it was time for him to move on. And the other one and I said, well, we'll stay and we'll finish this business. And we had about a year to close the office and transition the business, literally like hire, rehire myself in San Francisco and, and move everything over. It was probably one of the most challenging years of my life, dealing with multiple transitions, multiple leaders on the SC Johnson side until they found someone that they wanted to run the show over there, replacing myself. Our CFO died very suddenly, the Baby Gannick CFO, who we were all very, very close to during that transition, which was devastating for the team. But I think that when you work for an entrepreneurial brand that is moving towards a strategic partner, there's nothing more valuable than understanding that moment and that transaction. Because I think the reality is any entrepreneur that wants to start a business and sell a business is going to go through that moment. And I now have the ability to carry that experience with me into other brands that, that need someone to sort of turn on the heat. I always say I'm not employee number five. I'm really not. Like, I don't know that leg of that race and I, I've never run it before, but I'm employee 25. I'm the one that you bring on when you've got a really good baseline, you've got some great products, you're getting some organic traction and it's time to put together a strategy. It's time to put together a team. It's time to spend a little money smartly and put a little rigor on what we're doing to set ourselves up for success and then that rigor that I learned at Hand Celestial gives me the ability to have the conversation with the finance guys at SC Johnson, right? I can I can get through a PL well. I can work with big ops teams, you know, big finance teams, things like that. So I end up being an asset to organizations that are, and it could be a sale five years away, or it could be a sale two years away, but I end up being the kind of person that can speak to both sides. I won't crush an amazing entrepreneurial culture and spirit. I'll be able to lift it and make them more attractive and then help them transition to what will probably be your organization with much more structure and different processes and things like that. So we, on a Friday, we closed the door to the New York office. It was empty. <laughs> I, uh, Put my daughter, my eldest daughter at, at nine years old on a bus for sleepaway camp on a Saturday for her first summer away from us. And I started at PN Pediatrics on Monday, Monday morning. Coming up, you'll hear how Robin's positive attitude and leadership skills make her an invaluable asset to a company. Thank you for sharing your career journey. You definitely have had so many incredible accomplishments. What do you think has been the key to your success in getting promoted and getting all of these, what I would describe as dream jobs for a lot of people? I know the answer quite well because I tell my daughter the answer all the time. I'm never the smartest person in the room. No way. Never. I'm never the most well-educated person in the room. I'm often not even the person with the most experience in the room, but I'm the person with the best attitude in the room. And every organization is going to choose someone who's flexible, who's positive, and wants to get the job done. And my attitude that I bring to I don't, I frankly, I was born with it. I have no idea how I get it. Like people are like, I don't get it. You're always so happy. I, this is who I am. I was born with an attitude where I wake up in the morning and I want to have the best day I could possibly have every day. Things are different right now in our house, but when my kids would get on the bus, so our bus comes, I don't know, 7.30 every morning, I have a fifth grader and a second grader. So let's pretend it was last year and I have a fourth grader and a first grader. Um, they run out the door, they hop in the bus and I say, what's today? And they say, November 13th, and I said, 2019. And I'm like, great, and what are we gonna do? And they said, we're gonna make it the best November 13th, 2019 we can. I love that. I truly believe that. 
And it is the attitude and the culture that I bring to organizations that I think people are attracted to. And we're all going to make mistakes. And I don't frankly really care like, like, you know, how smart the person is next to me. I'm telling you that I can lead better than that person. I can inspire people better than that person. And that's what my superpower is. And I know how to use it. And how do you find people who also have that attitude? What do you mm. ask them in the job interview? Or how do you spot it in on a resume? Yes. So I, I hire people that bounce me out. So if my superpower is positivity and culture and leadership, I hire someone that's super organized and is going to help me. I can lead big projects and I can, I can sponsor them, but I'm going to need someone that can get in the weeds with me and get it done. I'm also really, really transparent with who I am and what I'm good at and what I'm not. So when I look for people on my team and I interview candidates, I'm super transparent. And I even have a little sheet that I stole from my old boss. Her name's Sheila. And it says Sheila's way of working. So now it says Robin's way of working on the top. And I'm really honest with what I need to be successful. And then I ask the candidate, what do you need to be successful? And hopefully we mesh. Certain things that I need to be successful are don't come with me. Don't come to me with the problem. Come to me with the problem and the solution. And you would be, I mean, maybe you wouldn't be shocked, but I'm shocked at how few people walk over to me that I work with, whether it's a direct report or a cross-functional partner that are like, would you believe that then and then this is going on? And I was like, okay, well, how am I going to fix it? And they're like, I don't know. Like, I don't come to me with a problem. Come to me with the concern and then give, give me options. Give me like three options, you know, or something. So that's an example of like, what's the, what do you need to know about working with me? Is that don't bring me your problems, bring me your solutions, and then we'll work them out together. So I often, when I look for a candidate, I don't look for a version of myself. I look for the opposite of myself sort of to answer your question, because I don't need them to be duplicative. It's my superpower. I need them to bring me one that, that fills a void that is not my superpower. Now I want to hear more about your current position. S.E. Johnson was really transparent with us. I said, hey, we're going to close the office. And we had a year to sort of get our ducks in a row. So a few months before it was time for me to move on, I started looking for a role that I would be interested in. I knew what I wanted from a culture perspective, and I knew what I, I, know what I look for to be successful. And for me, I found myself in this, what I'll call parenting space for 10 years or so. And I love working with this end user, I'll call her. And forgive me to those listening, I do often refer to her as her and not him, even it makes my husband crazy and I'm sorry. <laughs> but I, I guess I mentioned a few times, I have two daughters. There's a PM Pediatrics just uh, 10 minutes away from me and I had been there a few times. My kids only get sick after five o'clock on the we- and on the weekends. So yeah, I had been there. Is. <laughs> <laughs> that's the only time. So I had been there for multiple times. And on one of those occasions, my youngest had gotten Play-Doh stuck up her nose, like all the way up her nose and I couldn't oh get it out. So... I went to the PM Pediatrics on a Saturday afternoon. She cried her eyes out the whole way. She was only two, but I think she knew that like something scary was up and mm-hmm. mom and dad were nervous and we don't know how to fix this. They had this crazy tool that looked like a knitting needle, but had a light at the end. And she actually fell asleep while they were taking it out. And we carried her back to the car and we went home and it was amazing. And the next day I got a phone call from, sorry, my headphone fell out. I got a phone call from the doctor that had seen her to check in to see if she was okay. I have known my pediatrician for 10 years. She has never called me to see if my kids were feeling better, ever, ever. And I was shocked at the service and the, the relationship that PM Pediatrics wanted to have with me and my child that they took time out of their day to see if she was feeling better. So when I saw that they were hiring a head of marketing, I was really intrigued because I had and continued to have such great experiences there. I sent my resume finally on like, a, I don't know, Indeed link or something. And then I used LinkedIn to look around and see who the, the head of HR was. There were two. It's a, it was a, it's a shared role. I emailed them both individually. And one of them wrote me back and said, hey, we'd actually thank you for getting in touch. We'd love to talk to you. This has never happened to me, by the way. I have never emailed anyone on LinkedIn that way. And they have never written me back. I took a call with a HR assistant. I told him all about myself and why I, you know, was interested in the company. I learned more about the role and he explained to me that the company was growing significantly and they were bringing on a leadership team that were experts in their space. So my role was a new role. They had just brought on a CFO. They had brought on a CIO where previously the leadership team was made up of doctors, of pediatricians, or I should say more pediatric specialists that worked in hospitals. And they 
worked for the organization and then had chosen either to do a hybrid corporate role or had moved to just a specifically a corporate role and they weren't really practicing anymore. So it was a great time for me, right? This again is me being what I'll call employee 25, not employee five. And at the end of the conversation, he asked me about compensation. I hate that question. I don't like answering it. I don't like getting it. But Why I is gave, that? I don't because, well, first of all, I think it's illegal. But, uh, but uh, secondarily, I don't like asking the question because I don't want to undersell myself. And I think often as women, we do. We, pr- we price ourselves too low. And when I got backed into a corner, if it's something that I'm super interested in, I hate to undersell myself. My husband, who is in sales, will often coach me to say things like, well, what's your budget? Or what were you thinking of? Like sort of come back, or what were you thinking of paying for this role? But I'm also quite honest because um, in my previous life, when I worked in beauty, big organizations like L'Oreal and Estee Lauder will actually ask you for a pay stub from your current role and they'll confirm what you told them. So I'm afraid to like, you know, do anything otherwise than be super transparent and honest. So I told him and he said, okay, thank you. And, and I'll get back in touch. And a week or two went by and I was on an airplane on the way to San Francisco. And he wrote me back and said, Hey, it's really wonderful to meet you. You're just out of our budget. And I was like, Oh, that's a pity. So I wrote him back and I said, okay, I said, best of luck because what they had wanted to pay, they, I knew in my heart they were not going to find. And I said, if anything changes, please let me know. And that was it. And then a couple of days later, I wrote back to the head of HR and I said, I just want to let you know, I had a really great conversation with so-and-so. He let me know that I was out of scope from a budgetary perspective. If things change, please feel free to reach out. I really think that I could be you know, valuable to you in the organization. She called me right away. She was disappointed that he had told me that. And she wanted to continue to have conversations because in reality, where I was and where they were was really not that far away. And like we could probably bridge the gap. After a few conversations with them led to an offer. I was also having conversations with another organization on the other side led to an offer. And I ended up accepting the role at PM Pediatrics, even though the role at the other organization was much better well-paid because their mission and their culture was more aligned with the kind of person I am. And that continues to always be the right decision that I make. Like when I've had other offers and they don't feel quite right, even though the comp is better than the other, I will always choose one that I'm proud of that I can live in that works for my personality, my lifestyle and things like that. So I have been there since June of, I don't even know what year it is. You guys know what year it is? Like That's June. Same, I have that same problem every day. <laughs> June. Not this past June, but the June before. So what is that? June, June year 19? A yeah, year and a half. It's been a year and a half. Have you grown the team since you joined? Yeah, so I grew it. It got smaller. I grew it again. I don't always add people to teams. I, I often take away people from teams and then bring on different kinds of people. So that's what I did here. I spent some time meeting the people that were there, and I ended up bringing on different people. So marketing director that works with me right now has worked with me at Baby Ganics and worked with me at Hain Celestial. I often surround myself with people that I trust and I love and I care about. And she is one of those people. Thankfully, she continues to come with me and hasn't said no yet. So she's, she joined me and a few other women from Baby Ganics joined me as well. To, we brought a skill set that this job needed. Unfortunately, we had to furlough a few of them because though business right now is extraordinarily busy, we call it volume instead of revenue, to people that come into our offices or use our telemedicine platform, it's patient volume. There's a lot of volume right now. When the world was closed through spring into summer, children weren't getting sick because they were home. So when kids don't get sick, they don't come to an urgent care. And specifically, and I would say March, we started feeling the effects in February because people were afraid to go to the doctor in February. So I would say February through June, despite testing, there nobody wanted to leave the house. So we had built a telemedicine business in January, specifically as a test for in Alaska, which was helping Alaska school children and military bases. So we were able to turn that on and launch it nationally in February, which frankly kept our entire business afloat. People use the telemedicine platform from everything for coughs, fever, sneezes, rashes, any reason why you would want to talk to a doctor, but you were afraid to go to a doctor's office. And then as testing became more widespread, and right now we're doing three kinds of testing. We're doing PCR testing, which is that long nasal swab that everybody like is scared of. We're doing antibody testing, which is a blood draw, which can tell you if you have anybody's present in your blood. And then we're doing antigen testing, which is the rapid test that people are probably most familiar with. So those three kinds of tests really helped 
lift our volume and carry us through to where we are today, where people are sick, unfortunately, and the virus is everywhere, not just in New York, which is really where we were in March and April. And the majority of PM Pediatrics business, which I didn't mention, but is about 60 practices across the country, predominantly focused in the Northeast right now, but has plans for over 100 practices across the country. We slowed down our, our launch due to the pandemic. We were not opening practices, but focusing on telemedicine. But we're back on track to opening the practices in places where we hadn't been before. So in Florida, in other areas of Texas, in California, we opened one in Chicago that is wildly successful. We will open up another in, in Chicago. So we will be not just on the coast, but across the middle of the country in a big way in the next you know, six to 18 months if things continue to go as planned. But it has been... I would say that my last year at Babygonics, the transition and the death of our CFO were the most emotional, emotionally draining roles that I, the time in my life from a career perspective. This is, I have, I have never trusted my superpower more than I do right now. The energy that I bring to a Zoom call and rallying the troops because I deal with I deal with people in a corporate office, but I deal with people that are in the weeds, frontline workers, people that are exhausted, people that are scared, people, you know, and on the other side, I'm talking to parents that have no idea, no one knows what's going on. You know, I mean, for me, March and April were dark days. I barely made it through. I don't know, like my kids were home. No one knew nothing. New York was a scary, scary place. You know, I would turn my TV on every day and hear what Cuomo had to say. And that was like our bright spot. It's been wild. But I can say that our business is in a better place. I think that we've learned a lot. I hope that as a brand, we've taken, well, we have. I mean, whether we meant to or not, it's fast forwarded our business where there's a ton of excitement and investment being made in the healthcare space right now. I think that people are very aware, consumers, right? And that's what I always think about. I, I work with a lot of doctors that talk a lot of doctor stuff. What I, what, my, what I bring to the table is making them aware, hopefully, that we're talking to probably two parents in their late 20s with a child at home, and they have no idea what's going on. And what do we have to tell them, and how do we have to distill it so that they understand it really well, and how do we keep up with them, and how do we make them comfortable coming back into her office, making sure they're not staying home with a child that's not well, dealing with communication and, and, and sharing and medical records and emotions flying high and lines and all this craziness. I have a really amazing partner. Her name is Dr. Christina Johns. She's our vice president of communications. She's our senior medical advisor, which means she does all the cool TV stuff. She's a mom. She still practices, I would say, more than once a week right now, still quite busy. But she and I and our team work really, really closely together to put together strategies that help our business grow and stay successful, but also help our patients and make sure that people understand why they should come to us and how we can educate them and you don't hear that much pediatric news on the news, except over the summer a little bit when things were, people were scared of MISC. But um, we've done, a, I think, a really good job of having a voice and being in the conversation. I think you will see our brand grow into lots of other areas over the next year or so because we've really fast forwarded our business and we've been there for people and people know who we are and our brand awareness is through the roof and we do a really good job of patient experience and taking care of people's families, which has always been at the core mission, right? Like when my daughter Plato stuck up her nose, we called the next day to see if she was okay. We still do that. We're seeing more people, we're seeing hundreds of people walk through our office every day. There's lines at the door of people that are unwell and need COVID tests and flu tests and they still pick up the phone and call and say, Courtney, Stephanie, how's your daughter? Is she feeling well? You know, things like that. Up next, how Robin stays grounded during difficult times by focusing on nurturing her family and community and blocking out negativity. I want to talk about any leadership tips you have over Zoom. Oh, I love those cards you guys sent me, by the thank way. You. I thank you. Thank you. Yes, they're oh, amazing. There you go. You actually, you could, you could have your doctors use them on the televisits with kids. So um, I'm mailing mine yeah. to Christina. So if you've seen Dr. John's, like we do these, we call them community webinars, but about once a month, she does them. And at our height, we've had thousands of parents join. She did just one the other day. And I was like, look what I got. And I was, she lives in the DC area. So we can help brand them and customize them for you. They're so, so cool. Like, <laughs> you're, 
feeling well or something like that. Or you have no temperature. I don't know how you do the earth. Yeah, they're awesome. Open, open your mouth. Open. <laughs> they're so funny. So my first thing is I send pre-reads. I know that sounds very boring, but one of my old bosses always told me, don't come to me without an agenda. Tell me what you want from me out of the time that you have me so that we're really productive with the time. So actually every other Tuesday, our leadership team meets and we cover different topics and I'm presenting to, uh, this, no, this come, I don't know what day it is. I'm presenting on Tuesday to our leadership team. So at the end of the day today, I'm gonna tighten up my deck and I'm gonna email it to everyone. And I'm going to expect that they actually read it. And if 50% of them do, I think that's probably pretty good. But that way, I don't need to go through the nitty gritty of the slides. I hope that people gave it at least a cursory look so that we can take the time that we have to have a real conversation, as opposed to me reading words to people on the screen, because you don't need me to do that. You know, people can do that themselves. So I try to send pre-reads. My day has changed a little bit. So I used to in pre COVID life, exercise in the morning, go to a gym, work out, shower, go to an office. That does not happen anymore. So personally, I try to get most of my zoom calls where people are engaged done before three o'clock because nothing good happens in my life where I can have a good conversation after three o'clock. So I do my busy work early in the morning when my kids are scurrying around leaving for school. And then I take a couple of calls from like eight to 10 while I drink coffee. And then I work out at like 11, which is really weird. And then I shower and then I quick shower. I don't know. My, t- my calls are mostly internal. So if my hair is messy, nobody really cares. And then I finish my day by three o'clock. And then that way, I, I think that's when people get the best out of me. And I know my audience really well too. And that's also like, a re- I try to just understand who I'm talking to and what will make them most successful. I think I get the most out of people then as well because people can focus, they've got time. I feel my best after I exercise in some way, shape or form. That could even just be a walk if that's all I have time for. So I try to make sure that that happens too. And I get my product, the calls where I need people to pay attention. And when I need to really talk done between like one and three. What would you say has been your biggest learning lesson in this crazy year we've had? I think that I need, I think anyone should. And I always I still tell people this, I try to focus on my own community and know what's happening in my space. I cannot control what's happening across the country and what's on the news, but I can control or I can be mindful and aware of what's happening in my little town, with my little family, at home. And I try to block out all the other stuff because, you know, today it's all about school closures in New York and what is Mayor de Blasio doing? I don't know what Mayor de Blasio is doing. I'm just trying to focus on getting every day this is what I'm going to do, <laughs> you know, and sort of tune out everything else that's happening. I want to talk more about your marketing strategy. So mm-hmm. it obviously had to shift during COVID, it's, but how have you had to change it now? And it seems like we're in the second wave of this, but how do you plan during these times from a marketing standpoint? When we, I would say in February, we started to feel the business decline significantly. I mean, we saw, we've, we saw up to 90% of volume decline which is really challenging when you go from a practice that sees, I don't know, 50 or 60 patients a day to two. A few of them shortened hours, closed doors. We had to furlough a large, a lot of people in the organization, the ones that were left, myself included, took salary reductions for quite a long time. We ended up stripping the budget and only paying, I renegotiated my terms with all my vendors. I could not pay 30, couldn't even pay net 60. So I renegotiated my terms with my agency partners, which are very important to me. I do not view my agency partners as agency people. They are an extension of my team. I've worked with the same agency people across many businesses because I trust them and I love them and they're really talented. So we had really honest conversations. We moved our payment plan because my goal was to, we needed to manage cash flow. So I was, my, my marching orders for my CFO was renegotiate your terms so there's as little cash going out the door as possible. So we did that. And then we ran a month, we ran marketing on a monthly basis and we changed our messaging and we remained as flexible as we, as we could. So for the first, I would say first eight weeks of the pandemic. So from February one through April, I sent our founder, my boss, a note every Friday with everything that we've been doing. And there were days where I was working 14 hour days and there were days where I would work two hours. Like it was just, it was either feast or famine, depending on what was happening in the business. 
And for us, we changed the message. First, we started talking about safety in the office and why people still need to use the, come to the doctor. Then it was all about telemedicine because no matter what I said, nobody was leaving the house. And we were, we had to be very nimble with creative. So it was all social because that's, I mean, the majority of my businesses I've really only spent on social, but now it really was all social. The company had relied on a lot of grassroots efforts, sponsoring sports teams, going to family events. Those were cut right away with a lot of budget reductions. And our dollars were really only spent on social and search because when people need urgent care, they need it at the moment that they need it. So search is a conversion driver for us. And social is our brand awareness play and how we would get people down the funnel eventually. So we put together new creative as our message continued to change. We saw enormous success with email marketing. The moment that we hit send, and by we, I literally mean me or a woman on my team on our MailChimp like button, we would literally break the telemedicine app. Like we would see call volume because it was always it was always us informing our patient community of something that they had been waiting for. First, it was COVID nineteen PCR testing that we had made available and the locations it was available and how you get it and all of that. Then it was, anybody testing was probably the biggest because everyone was convinced that they had COVID and everyone wanted to know when they could get tested and could we test their whole family? Because I would say in late March, early April, we opened up our doors to testing adults as well. It was, there was very few places that were providing testing and it was very important for us to be able to test a child, but then the parent that came with the child. We wanted people to not have to travel all over the place to have COVID testing and we want to take care of the whole family. So we would have people that were standing there with their arms ready to have their blood taken because they were 100% convinced that they had it and they needed to know. Rapid testing was another huge push for us once we had rapid testing. And, and frankly, since rapid testing has been available, our offices have been packed with people. I think coincidentally, it happened at around the same time that schools began to open. So right now, uh, you know, we developed a protocol for how we handle schools and deal with sick children when they go to school and the notes that are needed and the positive or negative tests and things like that. But once children started to go to school, anything from a runny nose to a bellyache to a headache is technically a COVID-19 symptom. So those children would need to be tested to be able to go to school if they presented with those in the morning. So our offices in New York and New Jersey and Pennsylvania where school was in session were very, very busy. But our, to answer your original question, we still run on a month to month. I run a strategy, an overarching strategy past our founders for approval of what we're going to say in our message and then how we're going to get there. So the creative that needs to be developed to do that. We did shoot a video in California for, during the pandemic to because we needed to show people what our offices actually look like so they could feel safe enough to come back and then how much money we're going to spend on the media to get it out the door. And I think now we're at a really good cadence where our founders are comfortable with the level of spend that we have and how we're doing it. I'm in, I'm in the throes of planning for 2021 right now. My goal is to get our founders, my bosses, my recommendation by Thanksgiving break so that they can read it and we can sort of tweak it in December. And I'm using a, I don't know, I said to him, I go, I'm going to start with the budget number that you gave me that we agreed on in the beginning of 2020 as like a rough swag. But you know, <laughs> we have no, like, you know, yeah. it's, it's really challenging to plan for the future. So you know, we, we've got some initiatives that the business is growing into that we know that the marketing team will support. So I've sort of built a base business with the budget that I have had previously. And then I've got things that I could strip away if they don't happen, or I'll add in if they do. But I think flexibility is the name of the game right now. Absolutely. And then, and then in the future. And I think the only, you know, one of the places where you can be the most flexible is on social. And, and digital. So that's where we spent most of our dollars. And well, we, we know it. It's what we tell our yes. clients all the time. <laughs> no, I am like shocked at like how quickly a lot of the television advertisers were able to take whatever they probably had in the can and put together commercials that were meaningful at the beginning of the pandemic. It was really amazing. Shot on iPhone. <laughs> and now, yeah, really amazing. Incredibly well done. But most of our stuff is on digital. What would you say our audience would be most surprised to find out about you? All right, my, my, my personal life is that I am uh, not a very good eater, even though I've really worked for National Organic Food my whole life. And I mostly eat like cereal and fish sticks, even though I love to go out to dinner. And my husband, we were quite conservative in the beginning of the pandemic. So we were ordering a lot of groceries in. So I have a freezer, like the biggest freezer known to man. That was a pandemic purchase. It's in my garage. I don't know if that's surprising, but for someone that spent a lot of time in the national food space, I still fish sticks. Surprises me. <laughs> fish, 
You just reminded me that I have on my list for the past few months to buy a deep freezer because I keep telling yes. my husband we should have buy it in case it. of an emergency. <laughs> buy it. It's so thank you for my weekend reminder. <laughs> it's amazing. And then, I don't know, in my in my professional career, I mean, I think, I don't know, as, as, as a marketer, the one thing that I think people are surprised about me is that I'm a really retail-focused marketer. I want to sell stuff. So I don't get in the weeds with packaging design and branding and focus groups and customer segmentation. Like I'm a really good sales partner to a sales organization because I want to sell things. And I focus on that. I was going to say cut corners, but I don't cut corners. I focus on that because as much as I wish I could tell you that my marketing budgets are the reason why someone showed up at a store to buy something, I don't believe that's actually the case. The reason why people are buying products that I've worked on is because they've made it to the aisle for a re- one reason or another, let's call it diapers, right? They have a baby and they need diapers and they know huggies and they know pampers. And something happens when they're at the aisle that makes them change their purchase behavior. Maybe their child has rashes and they wanna choose a better for you diaper. Maybe they thought the packaging was really cool. Maybe it's on sale. Maybe if I'm lucky, they heard about it from a friend. But very few of the reasons that they're making that first purchase is because I sent them there as a marketer. They're there because they're there. I wish I could tell you otherwise, but the reality is people like to go shopping in the categories that I'm in. And the reason why they choose some brand has nothing to do with the gorgeous website or the social media or the brand story. When they come home after the product is amazing and they fall in love with it, then I reel them in. I've got beautiful social. I've got great promotions. I've got a great website. I tell a great brand story, but I don't kid myself retail marketing and or commercial marketing or whatever you want to call it is what's selling product for the brands that I've worked on. If you could give the entrepreneurista audience one last piece of career advice, what would it be? Hmm. <laughs> there are different times in your life where you should ask for more in the base and less in the bonus. And I wish I knew that when I was given those opportunities. <sighs> When you are, if you have, if you are not paying a mortgage and if you do not have children at home, take less in the base and more in the bonus. There's more upside (laughs) later. Mm -hmm. If you have a mortgage and you need to be, you need guaranteed income, get more in the base, take less in the bonus. They can always add to the bonus later. Well, you are definitely the definition of an intrapreneurista, which we say is someone who acts like an entrepreneur within an organization to really help grow and scale that company. What would you say being an intrapreneurista really means to you? Ah, it, it's someone that can speak to both sides of a brand and help them grow into the brand that I think that a founder has true aspirations to be. To be able to interpret a vision that someone has. And, you know, I love to hitch my wheel to someone with that vision and, and, and an intrapreneurista, that's an amazing term. An intrapreneurista helps that founder or founders really achieve their dreams because they can speak to both sides of it. Yeah, absolutely. This has been such an incredible conversation. I've learned so much from you about your career journey and some of your best pieces of advice. And Courtney and I definitely need to a copy of Sheila's. Uh... I will send it to you. Yeah. <laughs> please, please, please. Sheila's awesome. I. <laughs> we got to send this uh, recording to her so she yeah. gets her a uh, big fifteen minutes of fame too. She'll like it. Where can everyone find you, follow you, and for our moms and dads who are interested in PM Pediatrics, how can they find you? Yeah, so PM Pediatrics, our website, which tells you all the information you need to know when your child's sick, book appointments, things like that, is pmpediatrics.com. I would say that you're best to follow my dear friend, Dr. Christina Johns. She has a Twitter handle, an Instagram handle. She does so much conversationing on social, an amazing job talking to parents and helping them filter through everything that's going on in the world right now in a way that makes sense to them and is really relatable. And then my, if you're so interested in seeing pictures of my children, you can, my, nice. my, my, inst- my Instagram handle is Robin Merm. I'm not a big Facebook lover or Twitter. I feel like I just put pictures of my kids so that one day I'm going to make one of those photo albums. I'm going to do it one day. And it's, <laughs> so that's why they live there. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story and journey with us. I'm Stephanie. And I'm Courtney. And this is the best business meeting we've ever had. You can connect with us at socialflyny.com and follow us on Instagram at entrepreneurs. Check out all our latest episodes at entrepreneurspodcast.com. Thanks for listening. Bye.